Well, we are at the close of the Others series, and I hope you have been challenged as we look at the life of Jesus and how he lived that other word, that others-focused life. In fact, that's why he came. I hope you've been challenged personally to stretch and to take steps to move towards others in a variety of ways, and we are going to look at this one more time today and maybe add one more wrinkle or dimension to it as we have the privilege of doing so around this table as we will close with communion, this gathering of others in unity, proclaiming the Lord's death and resurrection. So it'll be, I'm excited about this morning. Uh, I don't know if you think about how often you are around tables. Every day we sit around tables. Think about the tables you have been around. The tables, our tables form us. They define us. They communicate a lot about our lives. And, and so think about the tables you were around this week, whether at home or at work or in the community with friends, colleagues, schoolmates. There was probably laughing at many of those tables. Perhaps there was something other than that. There were tears shed around some of the tables I was at today. Think about some of the tables you were not at. Think about the choices you had to make between tables where you were sitting. Perhaps you were grateful for not, have to, not having to sit at some tables, or perhaps you live with maybe some regret that you weren't at a table that you probably should have been. <clears throat> when we gather around this table, it must shout into our lives. This table must form us. It must define us, and our lives must communicate the realities of what this table represents Tables harness community and unity and relationships. They define us. So I want to roll back the, the clock, if I may, about 2,000 years. We're going to take a little mental field trip to ancient Rome in Greece with all of these Mediterranean towns. I want you to, to picture those scene, that scene. Maybe it's out of the movie Gladiator or one of those movies where you're seeing all of the stonework and the paving and the, the I was going to say tunics, the togas, right? Like, put yourself in that scene because I want you to see the reality of what was going on at the early church around this table, okay? And I can tell you one of the things about this culture we've just been transported back to is that it was a culture of status, Everything in the culture revolved around status. Who was served and who served. What people wore, how people talked, where people went or maybe where they weren't allowed to go. Who was accepted and who wasn't. The social standing mattered for everything. And who you were and what you had and where you lived and what you did mattered greatly. And people sized each other up accordingly. Maybe we're not too far from that even today in our Western suburban life. But we see this even in the culture of Jesus, in the Jewish culture as well. Jesus was often around tables. If you read the Gospels, you see how often Jesus was gathered around tables with all kinds of different people. And on one occasion, he leveraged the table for one of his best opportunities of teaching. He said this, he said, when Jesus noticed how the guests picked the best places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you, status, may have been invited. 
And if so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you have to take the least important seat because you see everyone's already seated. So you get up from your, and now you've got to go all the way to the end, the worst seat. Then humiliated, you'll take the least seat. When you were invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Status. So here's my challenge to you. At Thanksgiving this year, sit at the kids' table (laughs) and see if you get moved up. (laughs) And if you don't, you're going to have to just work that math out in your own mind. But we're back now in ancient Rome and culture, in those Mediterranean cities. And a friend that's both giddy but also serious wants you to come to this community, this thing they're calling the church that they've just become a part of. And you are intrigued and you appreciate the invitation, but you just sense that they deeply want you to be there. And so you put on your leather sandals, you walk down those paved alleyways and streets, not quite as smooth as our pavers today, but you're walking and you come not to a cathedral, but to a home. And it's a large home. It's someone of importance, of high status, because you see there's a large gathering of people in this home and you needed a home large enough to host these folks. And as you enter, this is what you find. You see a bunch of church kids running around, playing tag and hide and seek, and one of them actually bumps over a vase that you're pretty sure was expensive. But instead of a a slave cleaning it up, you see a Roman citizen just quickly sweep it up and set it to the side, and no one says anything to the children. They're just happy that they're there. Someone's slave passes by with a skewer of meat, of roasted meat, and asks if you would like some. You see a plant that is sitting what used to be a shrine to Apollo. And you know this family whose home you're in. They were one of the the lead worshipers of Apollo. But now that they have become Christian and now they're hosting this church, it seems all other gods have been removed from the house. Some folks are lounging on the floor. Others are sitting on sofas or pillows. And some are reclining at a table. On the other side of the room, there's, there's another table that has uh, some, some cooked fish and some vegetables. There's flasks of wine and water available for all the guests. But what catches your eye the most is you grab a goblet and a little plate of food is the encounter, what is going on in the room. You see, there is a, a Roman citizen sitting with a slave, and they're not The slave isn't serving him. They're actually praying with hands clasped and foreheads almost touching. A tear is coming down one of their eyes. They are praying earnestly for something or someone. You see a woman who you swear used to sit outside the city who had some kind of disease. You're not sure what it was, but you knew no one was allowed to be around her. And she would just beg and plead for anyone to just throw her a few coins or maybe a piece of bread. You swear that's her, and she's there in the room laughing, and she looks healthy. And everyone doesn't seem to mind to be around her. You see the host get up from his seat, 
the most important seed, and he gives it to what you believe the Jews call the Anoim, the poorest of the poor in the town. And the host gives her his seat at the table. Jews are laughing with Gentiles and even eating with them, and all you knew about the Jews is that they don't associate at all with Gentiles. Everything in this room seems upside down. It is otherworldly, countercultural. But all you can, you can't help but think, but in spite of it, there's something beautiful, peaceful, even sacred about what is going on in that room, in that gathering. And then a man stands up. They call him an elder. And he pulls out one of the scrolls. It's, it's from one of these apostles that, were, that was in their town just about a year ago, and he's reading from it. And he's talking about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He's proclaiming that Jesus is king, not Caesar. And then you hear that on one of the other tables, there is this reserved bread and wine, and the elder says that this is the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And that the community is invited to invest themselves in that meal, both for their own uh, life, but also for the sake of the community that they're with. And after singing a song, you find yourself participating in this meal, but not just taking it, you also have the opportunity to, to pass it on to serve others of what this they're calling communion. And then the elder offers a prayer. He reminds everyone of the love and peace of Jesus Christ, and then he pleads. He pleads with everyone that's in that church to invite others in, that there's more room in the house, there's more seats at the table to go bring others in. Then some money is collected to support one of the churches that, were just, that was just devastated a month ago by the Roman government. They had lost everything, and they're going to help that church, but they also give some of those resources to the poor who were with them in that room because it was unacceptable for anyone, a part of that community, to not have their basic needs cared for. And after some extended time of fellowship, you walk back to your own home, down those streets and alleys, and you can't help but think, and your heart just lingers on the thoughts and the experience you just had with that community, with that church around that table. This was the scene happening over and over and over again in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Greece and all over where the church had traveled in this great world. The church, this, this church, this gathering of others was just dripping with the power of what you now are coming to understand as the Holy Spirit that is, is, that is doing something new, unthinkable, otherworldly, and you just couldn't even have imagined it to be so. It's quite a compelling vision, right? We're back now. It's a compelling vision, right? There's something even about that, like, I, I want to go back and be a part of that kind of community. You know, as we prepare to come around this table, I, I need to be reminded of that story. Perhaps you do as well. I, I need that ancient scene fresh in my mind because it speaks to what the church is and what the church is supposed to be. And it speaks to what the Christian life looks like when the church is being what the church is supposed to be, this gathered, eclectic group of others. 
So I want to share with you a lengthy scripture passage, if I may. It comes from the book of Ephesians. It's one of the great others passages we have in the scriptures. And I'm just going to read it. You'll see some of the verses pop up on the screen. But the scene is Ephesus. Ephesus would have been very much like this little mental field trip we just took. Port town, buzzing, very Roman, and all of the the God worship and all this, all of that stuff would have been going on. And this is what Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, as for you, and the you here is the church, this Ephesian church, this Gentile church, this church made up of what the Jews would have called the others, those on the outside. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, the others, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, because of this, Paul says, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body, by human hands, right? He said, you are the others, right? In case you didn't know. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made the two groups, the ins, the outs, the Jews, the Gentiles, the the us and the others, he made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came to preach peace to you who were far away and to preach peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, i.e. others, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built onto the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which the church lives by the Spirit. This is the church. 
So you have heard about the, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to people in other generations, but has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together of the promise in Christ Jesus. There are no more others. I became a servant of this gospel, Paul says, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the less than the least of all the Lord's people, <clears throat> this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which in ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him we have faith and may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I mean, I don't know what to say. When I read that over and over again, I'm just left by thinking, wow. What an amazing God we serve. What an amazing God who can make others one. And for me, maybe for you, the light bulb goes off. That the others that we have been talking about so often, all of these weeks, perhaps aren't those people out there, but we are the others. It is why God came. And he takes those others and he invites them to the table. That is what the God, our great God, is in the business of doing of taking the others and making them one. And when we realize that we are the others and there are still others not in this room, not in this gathering, not at this table, we realize that we have a mission, that we have a great work to be part of. When we gather at this table, we proclaim and we are connected to many things. And, and I know growing up, I have kind of what went through my mind as I would come to the communion table. But I want to remind you of no less than six things you are connected to of what is going on when we gather around this table when we partake of communion. The first is that we are connected to this great story of God. We are connected to something bigger than ourselves. We are connected to Passover. And you're like, what? <laughs> like you just lost me. Passover, if you remember, you know, they... They sacrificed the lamb, smeared the blood, and there was a meal associated with it. And they celebrated Passover over and over again to remind them because Passover represented liberation. It represented freedom from the slavery they were in. And Jesus, when he says, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood in the new covenant, Jesus is taking on Passover. He becomes Passover for us, and we are connected into this great story of liberation and freedom. And we are also connected to this gospel, as Paul would say. In 1 Corinthians, Jesus, or Paul would say, whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim, you gospel the Lord's death until he comes again. Not just his death, but his resurrection 
and his exaltation and the sending of his spirit and the birth of the church, which now we become the incarnation of Jesus himself. God with us is now through his church. And this is the new covenant, the new way of life. And it's characterized by love, both of loving God and loving who? Others. We find that we are connected to personal faith, that we are to root our lives deeply in Christ because when we do, we are able to do those works that God has prepared in advance for us. We root ourselves in Christ for the sake of others, both this community and those that have yet to be come into this gathering with us. Our personal faith leads us to confession, to repentance, to aligning our life to the will of God. And it should impact us deeply. It is part of our soul care that we are called to engage. We are also connected as the church in worship. That when we gather around this table and we look to Christ who makes us one, we find ourselves praising God in one voice. And something transcends this community that's not just, wow, I like singing worship. Our lives become the very expression of worship and something, an X factor overtakes us. And part of that worship brings us to those places of unity. All of you different people from different backgrounds, we now find oneness. You heard that word one over and over and over again. And if you read Paul's writing, he's obsessed with it, that the gospel is about making us one with God and with others. Sounds a lot like Jesus' great commandment. And finally, we find ourselves connected to the very mission of God himself. In Mark chapter 16, the last words that Jesus gives his followers, his disciples, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And after the Lord Jesus has spoken, after he's spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then... The disciples went out and preached. They proclaimed, they gospeled everywhere. And the Lord was with them. The church was now on the move, bringing the will of God to bear in this world. At one time, you did not have a seat at this table. As Paul said, you were on the outside looking in, but now you are here. And you have a seat at the table. And perhaps you're here because an other invited you in. And now we have that same opportunity because of God's grace, because you have a place at the table. God looks around this room and so should we. And, and like that elder in that early church plead, there's more room. There's more seats to be filled. There's more chairs at my table. I want the others to be a part of us. Church, go get them. Go get them. Talk to them. Learn their stories. Extend those invitations because there's more room at my table. We are a great work of God, Paul would tell us. And because of that, we are connected. We are part of a great work ourselves to do. Throughout this series, we looked at the other word life of Jesus, and you were challenged to, to take steps to live that other word life yourself. And as we come to the close, we are going to do two things. We are going to gather around this table. We're going to have the opportunity to worship and to realize our 
unity and all of those things that this table represents. And then immediately following communion or maybe right after the service, we want to give you an opportunity to take your own step. That's the key experience. You've seen the door of our graphics. You see some of the white vintage doors similar to our sermon series in the back. There's others around the church. And there's keys by those doors with a simple little name tag. And we would invite you, perhaps after you take communion, you can go directly there after service, to just write the name, the, or no, 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 no. Write the initials of an other in your life. Someone that God has put on your heart. It could be a friend or family member. It could be someone you're struggling with. It could be somebody in need. It could be somebody from the wrong political party. Whatever that is these days. Um, my citizenship is in heaven, praise God. Um, sorry. But I would guess over these last four or five weeks, there have been others that keep popping into your mind that you keep encountering. Simply place your initials, and then you're going to hang that on the door. And as you hang it on the door, we would invite you to pray, partly for them, but this is what we get good at as Christians, for others. I would say pray for your heart. Pray that God does something in you that would move you towards those others that would make you aware of the opportunities, the situations, the conversations to be with them and for them, whatever that would mean, okay? So you, the key experience, communion, and then you can move towards those doors or right after service. <clears throat> Friends, it's my privilege to bring you to this table that has been prepared for you. For all those who love and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, who believe in God, and who believe in this community, in this church, this table is prepared for you. Would you join me in prayer? With joy, Lord, we praise you. For you have created heaven and earth and made us in your image and kept company with us even when we have not deserved it. We give you thanks for Jesus who came as the light in our dark world and showed us the way of love and justice and truth. We thank you that we are gathered in this place on this day among these friends and strangers and others alike to participate in this sacrament with one another. So God, send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the sharing of this bread and that we break in this cup that we bless may be for us the communion of the body and blood of Christ that we may, because of this sacrament, become more like you. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And God's people said, amen. amen.